Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. series trying to understand more of what the Bible has to teach us, specifically about the power of our speech and how we go about pursuing transformation in this important area of our lives. So we've already established over the last couple of weeks what a good use of our energy this is because nothing has the power for both good and evil like the words that we, that we speak. Now, I distinctly remember when I first learned that words had consequences and thus power. I think I was about five years old, and I repeated a four-letter word that I had heard on the playground, not just to, but at my mom. Yeah, that, interestingly enough, was her response as well. Because even as the word came out of my mouth, I had no idea the effect that it was going to have and the result that it would cause. The moment I spoke this particular word, my mom grabbed me by the arm and she dragged me into the bathroom and she filled my mouth with soap. And you might have had loving parents that used a bar of soap. My mom did not. My mom filled my mouth with liquid soap, which is the parental equivalent of waterboarding and should also be illegal. But I'll tell you what, I learned a valuable lesson at a very, very young age. And that lesson was, the words that come out of my mouth have consequences. And so they have power for both good and evil. And thus far, we've spent two weeks discussing the problematic power of our words. Namely, that our speech has a corrupting power that is legitimately beyond our ability to control on our own. And so we've gone deep into why this corrupting power is such a problem, but now we need to take, take a fresh look at, uh, at two things this morning. The first is what our words reveal about us, but more specifically, we want to look at where our words come from. It is of the utmost importance that we understand the source of our speech. Now remember, James chapter 3, verse 6 is a theme verse of sorts for this series. In James 3, 6, James says, the tongue is a fire. Now, many of us, even those of us who claim to be disciples of Jesus, spend far more of our lives than we would care to admit, like fire-breathing dragons, using our words to wreak havoc on those around us. And so we have to understand why this is. And we need to understand where these words come from. We have to understand the source of our speech. Because when we don't understand the source of something... We have a tendency to misdirect our efforts in controlling it. When we don't understand the source of something, we misdirect our efforts to control it. I'll give you an example from another area of life. Um, I mentioned, and some of you know this, but I mentioned back in April that a bunch of us had done a Nike running challenge. I took second place. I'm still bitter, but that's not the point of this this morning. Okay, we were, we were all in the midst, remember, of this, like, uh, this shelter-in-place order, uh, or our version of it here in Salt Lake. 
And so it was just so great to have anything else to be focused on. But another reason that I was so pumped about it was because I was beginning to put on what I affectionately refer to as the COVID-19, which is the approximate amount of weight we all seem to be gaining during these last five months of eating our feelings together. Um, and so, so follow me on this. I, I identified this problem that I had in that I was gaining weight. I also had a desired outcome, meaning that I, I wanted to lose that weight. And so I developed a strategy. I was going to run until I could not run anymore. And so if you think about it, that strategy that I chose reveals what I believed the source of my problem to be. I believed that the source of my problem, of my gaining weight, was that I wasn't exercising enough. And so lack of exercise in my mind was the source of my problem. Now the real problem is that one week I ran something like 60 miles and I kid you not, I gained seven pounds. You have to try to gain seven pounds. And you know how demoralizing that is to like Forrest Gump the whole week and be fatter at the end of it? So, so what happened? What happened is I misunderstood the source of my problem. See, the true source of my problem was not a lack of exercise. It was too much eating. The only thing I was doing more of than running was eating. And so, so, because I didn't understand the source of my problem, I misdirected my efforts to control it. Does that make sense? So, this is one of the reasons that so much of our work to tame our speech has been in vain. Because we don't always understand the source, we misdirect our efforts. And so, what happens is, the problems in our speech persist despite all of our work. And then we're left very frustrated and discouraged because we repeat the same mistakes over and over again and we eventually give up, resigning ourselves to the belief that we won't ever actually experience any amount of change. And so this is what happens when we don't understand the source of our speech or where our words come from. But thankfully, Jesus himself gives us very clear insight into where our speech originates and what it reveals about us. Understanding the source helps us develop an effective strategy for growth in this critical area of life. And so do me a favor, if you have a Bible or an app, uh, why don't you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Matthew chapter 12, we are specifically going to be in verses 33 to 37, and we are going to call this message uh, the source of our speech. The source of our speech. Now, let me just read these verses over us, and then we're going to make our way slowly through them, all right? So beginning in Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 33, Jesus himself says this, Either make the tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned." 
Now, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the context here, because Jesus is like right out of the gate for us this morning, pretty strong to the whole, pretty intense, and pretty direct. And so here's the context of what's happening. If you were to read back in Matthew chapter 12, here's what you would find. Jesus has just healed a man who was being oppressed by a demon. So there was a demonic force that had been sent to inflict suffering in this man's life. And, and, and Jesus frees this man from this demon. But rather than worship Jesus in light of his clear display of divinity in this moment, the Pharisees, the religious elite of Jesus' day, uh, they accuse him of casting out demons through the power of Satan, which is ironic to say the least. And so Jesus tells them in this moment earlier in Matthew chapter 12 that they are guilty of the sin of blasphemy. Now, blasphemy is what one does when they attribute the work of God to the work of Satan. So you might have heard the term blasphemy uh, at some point throughout your life. I'm, I'm certain that we've all heard that. But in a, in a biblical sense, that's what blasphemy is. It's when we look at something that God has done, that the Spirit of God has done, and we say Satan is doing that. And that is exactly what the Pharisees had done. And so Jesus seizes this opportunity to explain to them and, uh, by way of distance, explain to us uh, why words matter and where they come from, what they reveal about us. And so notice that Jesus starts by explaining why the words that we speak do in fact matter. Make a note of this. Whatever comes out of me is evidence of what's in me. That's the first point Jesus makes. Whatever comes out of me is evidence of what is in me. Look again at verse 33. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or Make the tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. So Jesus' point here is pretty straightforward. Uh, you can tell the nature of a tree by the substance of its fruit. You can tell the nature of a tree, what kind of tree it is, by the fruit that it produces. Now, I know that we're not all fruit farmers, but I think that we can still follow Jesus' illustration here. Uh, we had friends that moved into a new house a while back, and they had this unknown fruit tree uh, in their backyard. And when they moved in, it didn't have any fruit on it. And even as it began to grow in the early phases, the, the fruit was like so small and indistinguishable, we had, none of us had any idea what kind of tree this actually was. Now, uh, if you have a tree that has no fruit on it, it's understandable, unless you are like some kind of like ninja fruit farmer, you're not going to know just by looking at the tree what kind of tree it is, right? But let's say that you walk up to a tree and it is covered in oranges. How weird would it be if you were like, huh, I wonder, I wonder what kind of tree this is? Uh, it's an orange tree, dummy, because it's covered in oranges, right? You can tell because it's got the fruit right on it. You can tell the nature of a tree by the substance of its fruit. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is comparing the nature of our lives to a fruit tree. And so just like a tree is known by its fruit, so is a person. You can tell the nature of a person by the substance of the fruit that their life produces, and so, if, if evil fruit is constantly produced in the life of a person, what kind of person are they? Evil. So think about the type of speech that comes out of your mouth. If your speech is constantly marked by lying, 
by boasting, by manipulating, by complaining, by gossip, if your speech is constantly marked by these things, the Bible labels all of that as evil. And you would have very good reason to consider whether or not your heart has truly been surrendered to Jesus. Now, you might feel compelled to push back on that thinking, well, it's really not that black and white. But you know, according to Jesus, it is exactly that black and white. He literally uses an either-or statement. He says, either a tree or a life is good and produces good fruit, or it's bad and it produces bad fruit. And so Jesus says, whatever comes out of us is in fact evidence of what is in us. And so you and I have to do something with that. So will our speech or any area of, of our lives ever be perfect on this side of Christ's return? Absolutely not. But Jesus is talking about the overarching sum of our speech. Is our speech generally edifying and honoring toward God and others, or is it destructive and dishonoring? See, if we're going to stop using words to burn down our world around us, we have to face the reality of the fruit that our lives are producing. According to Jesus, our words matter because whatever comes out of us is evidence of what is in fact inside of us. Now notice that he drills down deeper now to the true source of the problem by teaching us about the source of our words. Make a note of this. The fruit of my speech flows from my heart. The fruit of my speech flows from my heart. Look at verse 34 and 35 again. Brood of vipers. Now Jesus is talking to the Pharisees there. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. So here's the key sentence in all of that that would do us uh, much good to commit to memory. Jesus says, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And so I want you to notice that the vessel from which the fruit of our speech flows is the heart. Now, when the word heart is used like this, it's speaking of the core of who and what we are. When most often when the scriptures talk about the heart, it's a reference to uh, what scholars call the seat or the source of our emotions, our intellect, our volition, and our behavior. Now, here's why that's so important. We, as people, have a tendency to focus on fruit issues, things like behavior in our lives. We have a tendency to focus on fruit issues and ignore the root issues from which they grow. And when you ignore the root, the fruit keeps coming back. Now, to this day, one of my least favorite chores on the planet is pulling weeds. And this is why one of my favorite things about living in a townhome right now is that we have no yard work that includes pulling weeds. I don't love paying an HOA, but I like pulling weeds even less. So I am happy to have a portion of that HOA go toward landscaping uh, and these landscapers that do a very important job that I personally hate. Now, I've hated this ever since I was a little kid, especially because I remember my parents always telling me when they would send us out to pull weeds, my parents are not looking good in this message. And they watch it midweek, and so I just want to apologize, Mom and Dad. You did great in many ways, but you were mean with the liquid soap, and the weed pulling was child abuse. I just want that out there publicly. 
So they would send us out to pull weeds, and they would always say the same thing. Make sure you get the root out, or the weed will just grow back. Remember that? And that drove me nuts because the root was so much more work to dig out. And I think that's the reason that we ignore the root of sin in our own lives. Focusing on the fruit is just so much easier than the hard work of digging out the root in our heart that causes it. And so what we end up doing is we say things like, you know, sometimes I have a problem with complaining. Or we say something like, sometimes I have this problem with with gossip, but you know, those are all issues of fruit. Those are patterns of behavior or behaviors of speech. Those are fruit issues. What we truly have are much deeper root problems that are residing within our hearts that are producing that particular fruit. This is why Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. And so what this means for us is any attempt to change behavior without also addressing the heart that informs it, is blind to how God has truly made us. We don't just need a better means of managing our speech. What we need are transformed hearts. Behavior can be modified, but only God can change the heart. And so the question is, is he changing yours? According to Jesus, the fruit of our speech flows from our hearts. The heart is the true source of our problem. And just in case we don't feel the gravity of all of this yet, I want you to make a note of how Jesus gives us this sobering reality. Make a note of this. He says, I will give an account for every word I speak. Just think about that for a second. This is why James said not many of you should be teachers. Teachers spend so much time talking and talking and talking and talking. So when you take that warning and you set it against the backdrop of what Jesus says here, that we will give an account for every word we speak, it's sobering. Look at verse 36. Jesus says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, so he's speaking of eternity here, after Jesus has returned and we stand before all of us individually, stand before God and give an account, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account For every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, there's really two sobering slash terrifying truths here. The first one is, you've never spoken one word that the Spirit of God did not hear and take note of. Just let that settle on your heart for a moment. You've never spoken one word. You've never thought one word that the Spirit of God did not both hear and take note of. Jesus says that one day we will all stand before him, and on that day we will, quote, give an account for every careless word we've spoken. Now, the word careless here means unguarded or a lack of attention, So careless words are those ones that we speak um, without any thought given to who's listening to them. It's the words that we speak where we don't give any thought to the effect that they're going to have on those around us. And so this is especially humbling when you consider that the text implies that God hears every word we speak. And so 
In, in, in some way, God's kind of like my kids. One of the things that you notice when you become a parent very, very quickly is that your kids are always listening to everything that you say. And, and just yesterday, I chose to test this hypothesis again. Tammy and I were uh, talking while our kids were eating lunch and, and watching one of their favorite TV shows. And so Tammy and I started to talk about this tendency on many kids' shows to paint the parents, especially the dads, as just these bumbling idiots. It's really a problem on TV in general. If you think about virtually any show, the dad is always like the biggest idiot on the planet. And, and so we were talking about that, and I personally find that very, very frustrating. But even more than that, in this moment, I was thinking, like, I'm going to see if my kids are listening right now. So we're talking about this, and I, and I, I, I lifted my voice just enough, and I said, you know, babe, it, uh, it drives me nuts when these shows paint the parents as idiots. Because we all know, in real life, it's the kids who are the most dumb. <laughs> and... <laughs> The words had barely left my lips, and my son Ryder whips around. He goes, wow, Dad, real nice. <laughs> so, again, I was right. Kids are always listening, and that'll come up in therapy for him one day, I promise. Uh, now, if, it, if, if, if this is important to be aware of with kids, think about how essential it is to be aware of this with God. You've never spoken one word that the Spirit of God did not both hear and take note of. And that's, that's not all. That's the, the first sobering truth that Jesus gives us is that. But the second one is this. Our words, again, have eternal consequences. Because notice verse 37 again. He said, for by your words you will be acquitted. Now underline that word in your Bible. And by your words you will be condemned. So we've already established uh, at the top, that the words that come out of our mouths have consequences. We all know that. But what Jesus makes clear here is that those consequences are eternal. They're not just immediate. So oftentimes, we, we might have concern, like, if I say this, it might damage uh, this relationship right now, or it might make things awkward for the next few minutes. And so we think in the immediate sense. But Jesus is speaking here in the eternal sense. Jesus says, by our words, we will be either acquitted or condemned. Now, the word that we have translated here as acquitted means to be declared right with and by God. And so it's the theological term justification. To be justified or acquitted is to be made right with God, to be forgiven of our sin and restored to a saving relationship with him. Now, Jesus is not saying that we make ourselves right with God through the words that we speak. That would be the message of religion. I do so that God will love me and accept me and declare me right. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that our words do in fact reveal whether or not we have been made right with God. They expose the reality of that. And so in a unique manner, our words reveal what we are. So think back again to Jesus' tree metaphor. If a tree doesn't grow lemons, it's not a lemon tree. And in the same way, if a life does not produce the fruit of God's Spirit more and more, it is not a life that has been transformed by His grace. Our words reveal what we are. So, so what Jesus is saying here is that though our words don't determine our standing with God, they do display it. And so if the fruit of our speech 
flows from our hearts, and the overarching sum of our speech is polluted and evil, then our hearts are necessarily polluted and evil. Our words reveal what we are. So here's our big idea this morning, and really what we're going to work towards through the rest of this series. It's this. If you're taking notes, write this down. A transformed heart is my only hope for transformed speech. A transformed heart is my only hope for transformed speech. So if you come to watch this stream or you're listening to this series in hopes that you're going to learn some tricks and tools to how to speak in a more edifying manner, will there be some of that? Yes. But if that's all that we come to this looking for, we miss the gravity of what it is that God wants to do in our hearts. He wants to transform us, not just make us behave different, but he wants to make us be different. And that's what God's going to do. And that starts with us doing an honest examination of our hearts and where we are. As followers of Jesus, we do ourselves no favors when we fail to take an honest assessment of our hearts. So I wonder when the last time you did that was, where you just did an honest assessment of your hearts. Honest, honestly, a lot of the time we don't do that because it's painful or it's awkward or it's, it's uncomfortable. See, sadly, many of us would rather ignore the true state of our hearts, pretending that we are different or better than we actually are. And so for some of us, it's just simply too hard to take that honest look. So you know what I've noticed, both in myself and other followers of Jesus? Many of us as Christians tend to assess our hearts the way that men assess their bodies in the mirror. Now stay with me, because I, I promise you this is a valid point. Men and women, if you don't know this, I promise you this is true. Men and women look at themselves in the, in the mirror in a completely different manner. Okay? Meaning, women look in the mirror, and they only see everything that they hate about themselves. That's what every woman that got ready this morning, you looked in the mirror, you looked fabulous, and you saw the like 57 things that you personally hate about yourself that no one else sees. That's the way women tend to look in the mirror. Men are the exact opposite. They look in the mirror, and no matter how objectively bad their reflection may be, they can find and focus on the one thing that they're pumped about. So you could be standing, guys, you could get out of the shower, you could be standing in your towel so heavy that your towel's barely hanging on, and you can be like, that one vein is really on point in my forearm. I think I look like Thor. <laughs> the problem is, you, don't, you, you look like Thor in Endgame, not Thor Ragnarok, okay? So men look in the mirror, you see this. The reality is, on your best day, you're this Thor, okay? That's the way that men, there's a huge difference. There's a difference in the way that men and women look in the mirror. And so here's my point. There is no benefit, there is no benefit to ignoring the true state of our hearts. We do ourselves no favor when we ignore the great sum of what is in us and try to just focus in on maybe the one or two areas that we maybe just even have a natural strength. Now, it is certainly not my place to judge you. It's not your place to judge me or anyone else. So the task in front of us this morning 
is to ask the Spirit of God to search our own hearts and to show us what's there. And here's what I'll promise you. When we do that, he is always faithful to show us our need for new and renewed hearts. So when we ask the Spirit of God this morning for help, the Holy Spirit is going to show us one of two realities. Some of us need to surrender our heart for the very first time. And so maybe, maybe you're watching this or listening and you have believed things about Jesus, but you haven't actually surrendered your life to follow him as he invites, made evident by the lack of fruit in your life. Now the good news is, despite that, you can surrender to him today. You can turn from authority over your own life and you can submit yourself to him by faith. You can believe that he lived, that he died, that he rose again to make you right with him despite your many faults and failures. And when we surrender to him, God declares us right. He justifies us. He acquits us, is the word that was in our text this morning. And then he begins this lifelong process of transforming our hearts more and more into the image of Jesus. And so some of us need to surrender our hearts for the very first time this morning. But the rest of us, as we ask the Spirit of God to reveal the state of our hearts this morning, the rest of us need to get very honest about the extent to which our speech is in submission to Christ. So we need to address the heart issues that inform the way that we speak. And this is the work that's ahead of us in this series, Taming the Dragon. And so let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what is in us. And as we see that, rather than ignore it, rather than than shy away from it, rather than justify it, let's lean into it and let's run to God for grace and run to him for mercy and run to him for help because he wants to transform us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that there is in in knowing that you already know the genuine state of our hearts. That though we might have a tendency to want to shy away from it or, or ignore it or not look at it, we're not hiding anything from you. You know. You you know the worst of us. Even better than we know ourselves. And still, you call us to yourself. You say, no, no, I I know how bad it is. In fact, it's worse than you think. But just come to me. Because I I love you. And I want to transform you. And I want to make you new. And so, Lord, I, I thank you that our relationship with you is founded on your grace, not on our performance. So we need not hide in shame any longer. We can freely come to you admitting everywhere that we fall short. And so help us to do that this morning, Lord. Reveal to us the state of our hearts. Lord, if any of us are listening or watching and we've never truly surrendered our hearts to you, I pray that you would open our hearts to faith this morning. That we would trust you. That we would love you. That we would surrender to you that we would submit our lives to you and begin to follow you in relationship. 
And Father, for those of us who have done that, I pray that you would reveal to us the extent to which our lives are surrendered to you. And that anywhere that they are not, anywhere that our hearts, anywhere that our speech is not submitted to you, Holy Spirit, would you enable us, empower us with the grace necessary to begin to make that decision to surrender to you more and more. We know that you can, so we ask that you would. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.